Hey, welcome to The Curiosity. My name is Rachel. I will be your host. I'm glad you've joined us. Let's get going. Okay, so uh, today we're talking about psychedelics, people. We're talking uh, to Christopher Gunlock. And uh, Christopher, tell everybody who you are. Hi, everybody. Uh, thank you, Rachel. Um, yeah, I, I, um, I consider myself a psychedelic integration consultant or coach or educator. Um, I, I spend time basically helping people prepare in the best way possible and, and to reduce the risks and harms of taking psychedelics. And uh, I also help folks who either have kind of come out of the psychedelic experience, their journey, or have had similar uh, just kind of mind expanding experiences over their life and, and are looking to uh, apply them in a healthy way into various aspects of their life, their work, their relationships, their health, their environment, and just trying to kind of help people bring those worlds together, uh, these more expanded consciousness states and the uh, standard material realms that we live in. Um, I also help run a organization, a nonprofit psychedelic study in Minnesota. Uh, been a part of it for about three years, uh, last two years, been the executive director. And uh, we're basically just building community around uh, the discussions and the, the support of safe, responsible psychedelic use. Uh, it's, it's become, it's become a, a very flourishing, beautiful group of people that um, uh, we host events for, support groups, educational events, uh, social events. Uh, really just just a place to find a, a way to safely talk about these things that are sometimes hard to talk about in, in other uh, elements of your uh, more conventional life. So um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's me. <laughs> nice. Yeah, you touched on 50% of the questions I have for you. <laughs> so that's great. I okay. mean, we'll, we'll dive more deeper into all of that. Um, thank you for introducing uh, who you are to everyone. So Oh my God, like where the hell to start? So Chris and I, Christopher, do you prefer Christopher? Uh, sure, yeah. Christopher, okay. Um, my husband's name is Christopher, I call him Chris. So I might catch off, I might just stop at Chris. Um, <laughs> I use all of them, I use all oh, of you them. you do, so okay, cool. okay. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll toggle. Um, so we had a, a discussion before, as I often do with people that I have on, just like asking questions and like, you know, what are your questions for me? What are my questions for you? Um, and he asked if I had talked about psychedelics on this podcast before. And um, my my first response was no. But then I thought, well, you know, maybe we I've chatted about it a little bit. Um, this this topic is really vast, and it's come into like mainstream society in America. I feel like you, you know recently. Um, and I'm really excited to touch on psychedelics today with Christopher because of the past and the history, especially that our country has with drugs. Um, we were talking about my experience of being a dare drug abuse resistance education kid. We had the cop come in, 
don't remember what his name was. He wore his brown uniform and his hat, and he had a mustache. It was like second grade. Um, and it was exciting because he put a sticker in a book, and whoever got the sticker won. And we're like, yeah, drugs are bad. Don't do them. They fry your brain. And I kind of feel like that's most, at least in, if you had the education that I did, suburban public school, uh, that's what we got. And as an adult, to start to unfold what all of this means for society and for me, uh, realizing, um, you know, how great plant medicine is in general and the uses that we have for it, for attending to a bunch of stuff, um, is vast. So, yeah, again, I go back to where do we start? Um, what's your day job? I th you, you mentioned um, this. This is what I do. Yeah, this, this is, is everything. You so yeah. you call yourself, uh, say it again. Um, I kind of play around a few. Yes, yeah, psychedelic integration consultant, coach, educator. Got it. Um, yeah. So you're not a licensed therapist. Correct. Yeah, I don't operate with any kind of license. Yeah. Um, so let's start here. I'm curious about how somebody gets to calling themselves a psychedelic uh, integrator. Very similar to how does somebody call themselves a somatic practitioner, which is <laughs> what I do. Yeah. It's like how what how does that happen? And you know, do you have a license for that? What's the training? Is it life training? Um, yeah, mm -hmm. I'm curious to hear a little bit more about that. Sure. Yeah, it's it's pretty new um, job, I guess you you would say. Um, so there there definitely isn't any licensure. There there are some accreditation schools out there, uh, but they're also pretty new and and generally just other psychedelic integration coaches are leading them, <laughs> and so. Um, I, I, I haven't done the schools, me personally, um, for me, I consider my training, uh, the 15 or so years that I've been using psychedelics on my own, uh, a good, like 10 of those were, um, really just kind of experimenting kind of exploratory sort of, uh, personal use, a little bit of recreational use. I was mostly just a very, very curious person um, growing up. Uh, when I was 17, I first tried mushrooms and then immediately it was like, okay, that's the most interesting thing I've ever done. <laughs> and uh, just- What was the became, setting? Oh, it was a beautiful park. I was with um, two of my friends. One of them was more experienced and um, we were sitting on a hill and um, the mushrooms started to come on and uh, of course, my expectations were pretty blank. I, I, I just, I'd smoked weed before, but that was it. And so I really had no idea what to expect. And I remember when I first realized it, uh, I was looking up at the clouds and it was just a beautiful sunny summer day with the perfect little fluffy clouds. And, um, and I noticed there was like something behind the clouds. It was like this lattice framework pattern. And uh, I honestly thought it was it was really there. I honestly was just like, oh, how did I not notice that before? Wow, that's really cool. And then it hit me. I was like, oh man, this is it. And then I looked down and there was trees at the bottom of the hill and the trees were just like, they were like alive. They were like reaching out to me and like calling me. And I was, and I was like, okay, I got to go over there. And so um, I had a beautiful day. I, I had the kind of the first moment of experiencing like the, the unity 
the connection of all underlying all things um, that that was a big moment for me. Uh, after that point, I, I was very much kind of convinced that there was something behind the scenes behind the veil. And um, so, uh, so yeah, yeah, I, I did a lot of psychedelics uh, throughout my 20s. Um, I, I ended up, it ended up um, leading me to a, a meditation school, uh, the Maharishi University of Management, it was called at the time, it's the Maharishi International University now. Uh, their, their whole focus is the Vedic philosophy with transcendental meditation being the primary method of, of expanding your consciousness. And um, that was really pivotal for me because it, it, it validated uh, my subjective understanding of those states of consciousness through an ancient lineage and ancient discipline. And so uh, then I knew it wasn't just like a, a silly drug hallucination. It, it, was, it was much more um and then yeah just continued exploration until um i mean i feel like I'm, i might be getting into other other relevant questions with this story but there was uh i could say more later but uh i had a i had a i had a dark period where uh, my life really just kind of fell off everything just was falling apart my health my work my relationships and um and my my home environment just just started to get really bad and I had this kind of wake up moment. That was where I sort of discovered what integration really means. And yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And that's, and that's really what led me to uh, the, the work that I'm doing today was uh, developing a new appreciation for psychedelics and in, in that it's, it's not just like, it's not just a way to kind of philosophize and expand your experience. It's a way to actually make your normal life better and and that was uh coupled with my going to school for um uh, integrative medicine i went to the george washington university uh, got my master's in health sciences there and mm. at the time i was just kind of thinking of doing like a health coaching sort of career path um but i discovered pretty quickly that the thing that underlies all of people uh, like people's like chronic health issues like like i specialize in nutrition um in, at the school and uh, metabolic disorders um was was really it was a, a habit but then a belief system or perspective or assumption that underlies that habit which ultimately is attached to a person's sense of identity and so changing those habits or or you know treating people's symptoms was was really impossible unless you went to that that level of their their conscious identity um and and that's what got me thinking oh wow psychedelics could actually be a really important part of this uh because because at the time i i i i've been studying psychedelics kind of my my whole adult life but um never thought it could be applicable to any sort of um, kind of mainstream uh, career path or really any, I, I assumed like it was just going to be my secret little world that I would get to um, experience on my own and hopefully, you know, share in some capacity. But um, yeah, that was when I, 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 I kind of switched health coaching into integration coaching and um, the, the health stuff, like, like I still, I still care very much about uh, like physiological health, hormonal health, uh, metabolic health, but um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of good people, even, even a lot of mainstream doctors are getting into it, like functional medicine, integrative medicine. Uh, but the are thing that, psychedelics? 
What's that? A lot of functional medicine doctors, and you said other others are getting into it. Is it psychedelics? Uh, I mean, just the integrative medicine stuff. Like, oh, they're getting like, into integrative medicine. Got it. Yeah, yeah. That's becoming like more mainstream uh, to the point where uh, I just started to feel like the bigger missing piece to all of this was, was something that could get to the bottom of where your, your conscious perceptions and assumptions and beliefs about who you are and what the world is. Uh, cause so many of things, those things are tied into the, the habits, like our eating habits, for example, you know, we, we may eat because it's a, a coping mechanism for some trauma that we acquired uh, early in life. Or we may we may we may have an unhealthy habit to make up for uh, something we don't allow ourselves to to have, like a, a certain pleasure or a certain openness. Uh, as a result, usually again, it's these coping mechanisms that result from trauma of some kind. And it can it can even be positive coping mechanisms, like something really good happens to you. Maybe you get like a new job, like a higher position or something that's going to affect your identity nonetheless, uh, whether it be good or bad, but someday you may hit a point where the, the lifestyle that results from that identity may not be working anymore. You may, you may hit a wall or, or it, you may realize you're stuck in this destructive pattern that keeps happening. And, um, and that's where we have to start confronting that sense of identity and psychedelics are just a fantastic way of doing that. Um, and so to get, man, I really, really veered off from your original question, but how off became... welcome. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, I'm going to circle back though. So, yes. um, the, you know, how, how does a person become an integrative, uh, psych psychedelic integration coach? Um, you know, that, like I said, there are some pretty good schools out there. I, I think it's really dependent on how well you resonate with the instructors. Um, and then if you don't like, that's okay, because, uh, so much of this work is just your life. Do you do the integration? Are you applying the lessons from your, uh, your expanded states of consciousness? Um, I would say also a really critical element of what I would even call my training uh, was the psychedelic society, the community where, where you can hear, you can listen to real people's stories and their integration experience and their journey of healing and growth and that that i really would place above any what any school that i know of could could ever do uh just just being immersed in um uh, well, well not just groups of people but i developed friendships around this and even uh closer relationships uh, got my family into it uh you know all of those all of those connections with people, those stories that people tell, uh, there's so much to learn about, you know, what, what was it about their expanded experience, their psychedelic experience that, that showed them a piece of their identity that just wasn't really working as well as they wanted to. And then the process of kind of reshaping, adapting, reprogramming into a version of yourself that, that runs more smoothly is more in, in harmony. So yeah, yeah, that's um, that's been my path. I think you know, if other folks are listening that are interested in pursuing psychedelic integration careers, uh, don't don't feel like you have to fall into some sort of like cookie cutter uh, mold of of what that is. And honestly, I I encourage practitioners of all kinds 
if if you have psychedelic experiences of your own and you find them valuable, just just make integration part of your life and uh, you'll you'll be helping people regardless of whether you call yourself a, a psychedelic integration coach or not because more and more people out there are taking psychedelics and they want to have that conversation with someone, anyone really. And especially if it's someone you go to uh, for um, like health advice or, or, uh, or treatments of some kind, um, it's a great opportunity to integrate and, and take more seriously the, the lessons that you might be getting from, from your psychedelic experiences. So yeah, it's, it, integration is, is just life really. So the more seriously you take it, uh, the more it shows and, and the more you may be able to help people. So what I hear is you did go through some type of training. Well, well, I called the psychedelic society kind of my okay, my personal training. Yeah, um, yeah. So all yeah, the events and and, and yep. connections we make. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a shift in thinking because um, before you just mentioned that, um, like even before we recorded, my thought yeah. was psycho psychedelic integration was in the category of a therapist, like a licensed uh, psychotherapist. Um, I, and you know, other people are going to be underground and, and help people integrate. <clears throat> However, you're very public. Uh, so in my mind, it was just, oh, he's, he has to be a, a psychotherapist and you're not. <laughs> so, uh, this is education for me that, um, yeah, p people are out there doing this, uh, without any type of, um, medical license. Um, and they're, they're out of the closet. <laughs> doing this. Yeah. And, and really it's actually harder to be out of the closet with a license. And so it's somewhat out of necessity that I operate without a license. Um, I would, all the experiences, like I've, I've taken psychedelics hundreds of times. It's been a big part of my life. If, if I had to keep quiet about all of that, I would be, I would, I would be far less help for people. It, it would, it would just, even just the sense of inhibition would prevent me from even just showing up the best way I could. Uh, and, and that's a, one of the biggest lessons of psychedelic integration is, is authenticity. Can you express yourself from the truest part of yourself? Can you align yourself with your core values and, and, and live through that, that life? And, um, unfortunately, I mean, you know, I, I think someday maybe we'll live in a world where, you know, licensing boards, uh, you know, medical institutions, you know, they, they are just as open-minded as someone operating outside of that realm. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not, um, I, I, I don't like to be coy and, and, you know, pretend that that's not a problem because really it's, it's an enormous problem. It, it is one of the biggest problems in terms of not just the ability to integrate your psychedelic experiences, but, uh, I mean, just the mental health epidemic, the, the chronic metabolic disease epidemic, uh, I mean, you name it, we're, we're looking at a world where our institutions are holding us back. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, we can theorize about, you know, all kinds of conspiracy theories, but um, the, the fact of the matter is right now, uh, for me, operating outside of, of those uh, institutions and, and uh, very kind of rigid uh, ideologies, it, it makes me do my job much better than, than I would otherwise. 
that leads to um, a fascinating topic for me, which is um, let's talk about why there's that fear and why this has gone underground. Uh, more specifically, I'd love to hear about um, your your knowledge of the war on drugs. Sure, Um, sure, yeah. and you know, we can talk about that in America. We can talk about, you know, the longstanding relationship that human beings have with psychedelics and that it didn't just start in the seventies. Um, yeah, let's, let's have you, um, give us, give us some, give us some knowledge there and, and talk, Sure. talk, talk about this as if you were talking to somebody who had no idea what the war on drugs is. Okay, sure. Um, well, it goes back pretty far. Um, I, I've done a few PowerPoint presentations on this, and um, Their medical application. 
And let's pause so, there. Where is sure. psychedelics on that schedule? They're all in schedule one and schedule one. Um, frankly, schedule one, you know, I'll, I'll be more candid than, than, uh, I'm usually schedule one is an abomination. It shouldn't exist at all because the way it's defined, uh, is, is the highest level of abuse and addiction and no medical value. And it's that no medical value point that doesn't make any sense because, um, you know, they, they can find a medical value for basically anything, right? It's, it's, it's just a matter of how hard are you looking? You know, they, there's, there's drugs to do, you know, things that are, are not even useful, you know, like, like there's prescriptions out there that, uh, you know, border on, on, you know, just completely superfluous. And, and the idea that psychedelics, an entire class of drugs that can do, um, do things just from like a psychological psychiatric perspective that really nothing else can, uh, there's, there's gotta be another reason why we classify them there. And, and, and again, that goes back to the oppression of, of specific groups, groups of people. Um, and in another pause, if we're looking at sure. the, the specific numbers, so you said one through five, Mm -hmm. Does one mean um, the most illegal? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, schedule two, the definition is highest potential for abuse or addiction, but still has medical value. So and those schedule. Are like benzos? Uh, probably. Yeah. Cocaine is on there. Okay, yeah, heroin, um, probably. Uh, heroin is a schedule one. Um, mm. Yeah. Heroin, meth, all psychedelics, marijuana. Uh, GHB. Marijuana is one. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And some forms of fentanyl are on schedule one. Um, but yeah, marijuana is schedule one. That's the most insane. Um, so, so, so really it starts to, once you start digging into it, I mean, even you can see it on the DEA's website, the way they classify these things. And um, you'll notice too, like normally when you look at uh, like, um, like political or, or legislative documents, they'll they'll be very thorough in terms of the reasoning behind their their laws. Like they'll have like like uh, pieces of evidence, like citing this paper and this paper. You know, go here to see the the statistics of you know the danger uh, behind all of these things. Um, Schedule one was not created based on any scientific evidence. It wasn't even scientists that uh, formed that list. There was there was no cited evidence that uh, psychedelics have no medical value. And in fact, uh, psychedelics were very thoroughly studied prior to 1970. I mean, they've been they've been researched very heavily since like the early 1930s. Even um, you know they were even looking into the comparisons of schizophrenia and psychedelic states. Uh, but they were even treating addiction and depression and anxiety with psychedelics back in the 50s and 60s. Did everyone so hear that? This... I want to make sure the, the listeners heard that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing the amount of um, misinformation and stigma that surrounds these things because um, it, it, it was a big hit. I mean, you know, we, we hear all about like how the 60s and like Timothy Leary and all that was all crazy and stuff. But Timothy Leary was a Stanford professor or Harvard professor of psychiatry or psychology and um, him along with a whole, I mean, that's, that's really where that psychedelic 
revolution started was in the university system. It was the professors and, and the, the students, the, the acad academics that were fascinated the most by psychedelics. I mean, just look um, at it right now. You research any, go on Google any major university and look to see if they have a psychedelic research department. They do. Exactly. The University yeah, of Minnesota yeah. is studying psychedelics right now. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And Johns Hopkins University just funded a multi-million dollar psychedelic research institute. Um, it's, it's coming back, but yeah, at the time, uh, heavily stigmatized. And um, so this idea that psychedelics uh, have no medical value, which is the way they're currently defined, uh, it, it's not scientific. But the problem is to change the scheduling of a drug, you need scientific evidence. And so we have a, a major just blatant catch-22 here where it required no scientific evidence to get onto that list, but you have to have the, the most, the highest level of rigorous scientific evidence to change that classification, which involves tens of millions of dollars, uh, which at this point all have to be privately funded. The government does not give any money to fund uh, schedule one drug research. And uh, it, takes, it takes many years because we're talking longitudinal studies, which is uh, uh, getting hundreds or maybe even thousands of people uh, into a clinical research trial over several years to, to test the efficacy and the safety and all that. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's a huge undertaking, which even, even with the big support that uh, the MAPS organization, Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies, um, they're getting MDMA maps, through that. MAPS, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so the, if you're interested in any of this stuff, they have a bunch of resources. MAPS.org, maybe? Or uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It should be a .org, Google I think. It. Yeah. They're, they're really big in all of this stuff. They're, they're kind of the biggest, like they're essentially the first psychedelic pharmaceutical company. Um, they're, they're running their own clinical, clinical trials. Uh, they're, they're spearheading MDMA through for PTSD treatment. And, uh, and, and by the way, it's going very well, but even, even with all of that energy, moving it through, it's still a slog, you know, it takes years to get the funding. It takes years to, to, to put together all the protocols and, and to get, uh, enough, uh, frankly, enough, uh, like doctors involved to, to even do it. Of course, now it's a very popular thing. A lot of people want to get into it, but um yeah it's it, we're in an unfortunate state of things the the war on drugs is has really done a, a, a huge amount of harm on, on very many levels uh you know that's not even getting into the the results of um um uh, the the black market industry you know how how that you know causes problems and as a result of the uh criminalization of these drugs um and then of course you know it's the, there's even, I think there's like a graph somewhere that showed the rise in um, mental health uh, severity or prevalence, like depression, anxiety, PTSD, all that. Uh, it, it, it started going up right around the time that psychedelics became illegal. <laughs> so, hmm. yeah. So had we, you know, done that differently, had we you know, Richard Nixon not come along and uh, demonized psychedelics and many That's other drugs. That's what I drugs. want you to talk about next. Sure. Like the, the kind of the, the sequence of events there. Or... Like bring us, bring us back to 1970. Like let, okay. let's, let's start there. 
where like yeah, most of our um, listeners are going to be able to be like, oh, I was this age when that happened, and and I am hearing what he is saying about this war thingy. Hmm. Yeah, I wish I could have been there. I I was born in '86, uh, um, okay. so it was well after. But um, yeah, yeah, but like even I was I... born in '83, so yeah, we're around the same time. But like we're yeah. we are the product of uh, we are we are, I believe our our education with the drugs, our meaning like our generation, is a product mm. heavily from Nixon's time. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. yeah. We're 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 babies from the war on drugs era. I mean, I guess we all are at this point, but um yeah, in the eighties the, the war on drugs is well underway and and um so um so yeah the the whole like sixties revolution thing that was what led ultimately to to nineteen seventy um the 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 vietnam war protests uh the civil rights protests uh it was causing a big problem which uh is is very eerily similar to what we are experiencing right now in history i i honestly feel like we're going through somewhat of a repeat of the 60s and 70s right now um but yeah anyway so you know the the nixon administration and you know just generally the um kind of more conservatively minded politicians are very power hungry. Uh, they wanted to stay in power. They wanted to keep, keep things under wraps, keep people under control. And um, since you can't make having ideas illegal, since you can't make being against war illegal, they had to find another way. And what they saw was, okay, all these hippies are using these weird drugs, you know, and, and, and they knew about them at the time, the CIA very thoroughly investigated and experimented with LSD and other psychedelics. And, you know, they knew what they were, uh, but they were noticing that the types of people that tend to be most um, defiant or questioning of authority are people using psychedelics. And so they made, they made sure to put those on the list and, uh, and, and, uh, criminalizing, basically criminalizing a lifestyle is, is what it amounts to. And, um, it's an, it's a very effective way at, at segregating and oppressing a population. So, uh, since then, I mean, I, I wish I could have seen, you know, what the immediate aftermath was. I just know that, uh, psychedelic research stopped at, in 1970. Uh, it became, uh, basically career suicide to to be involved or even associated with psychedelics um, I mean it's still still somewhat is but uh, it's it's shifting quite a bit uh, it wasn't until about the 90s uh, 1994 was Rick Strassman's uh, DMT paper that uh, really broke the silence in in the world of academia on psychedelics um, DMT is, is one of the most important psychedelic compounds out there and, and ex extremely powerful experiences result from it. And, and explain really briefly what DMT is for everyone. Sure, sure. Uh, dimethyltryptamine, this is one that Joe Rogan talks about all the time. And um, it's, it's, um, it's one of the, the most commonly available psychedelics in nature. Uh, like compare that to LSD. LSD uh, it occurs in some form in, um, in mold, in a fungus, but requires quite a bit of uh, chemistry to extract it into consumable drugs in, in the form of LSD. That's the, the, what you see out there. Uh, DMT, on the other hand, is 
very easily extractable from hundreds, maybe in thousands of different plants and even animals. Uh, there's the famously the, the um, Buffo alvarius frog or, or the, the famous toad venom. Um, uh, Mike Tyson is, has been very vocal about that recently and mm. I recommend watching Mike Tyson <laughs> videos. Um, I didn't know that. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he, it changed his life and, and he's, he's, um, he's all about it nowadays. Uh, and yeah. in, for, for people who haven't heard of DMT, when you get, he's literally, Chris is literally talking about a frog. So it, <laughs> it's, it's like venom that you scrape off the frog. Yeah. The little, um, there's little, uh, venom sacks on its neck that if you just kind of squeeze them, the, the venom comes out. It's, it's oftentimes actually you find these, these psychoactive chemicals in nature as uh, a plant or an animal's defense mechanism. Defense mechanism yeah. 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 And, um, but, uh, and by the way, uh, the toad venom has higher amounts of five MEO DMT, which is a very, very close, um, closely related to DMT itself, uh, but has pretty different effects, but DMT in general, five MEO DMT, bufontanine, these chemicals are all a family of what we would call tryptamines and serotonin and melatonin are actually also very closely related to DMT. And DMT is actually the uh, structurally most, the, the, the simplest structure of all of them. And so in a way, um, DMT is, is, is kind of at the center of the world of, of tryptamines. And um, based on that, it makes a lot of sense that we would see it a lot in nature. I mean, plants just generally have this very simple molecule and it, it likely serves other purposes other than like the intense psychoactive effects that it has on people. Um, but, uh, yeah, DMT is very important in the world of psychedelics. I mean, they've even found traces amount in bodily fluids and tissues. Uh, we know that the brain has the enzymes needed to convert endogenous compounds into DMT, suggesting that DMT may be closer to a neurotransmitter or a hormone, much like serotonin. And there, there's people doing studies right now to figure out um, exactly what the levels of endogenous DMT or DMT being created in the body is, uh, and associating that with different states of consciousness. Rick Strassman is famous for associating the dream state with DMT and the pineal gland. Um, all of that is is uh, pretty. Um, um, uh, it, it's, it's, it's not exact science there, but like the, the idea that, uh, DMT is in the brain is definitely not crazy. It's, it's, it's quite probable, um, a very common compound in, in the human body. Um, what so anyway, yeah, the, is that DMT trips last for a really short amount of time, right? Yeah. Like not necessarily days. though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it depends on what you do with it. Um, if you take just straight DMT, yeah, it's, it's a very, very intense, quick experience, but uh, you can add compounds to it to prolong it and basically slow the, the metabolic breakdown of DMT. That's what ayahuasca is. And um, there are other ways to accomplish that as well. But um, yeah, so the, the, the research on psychedelics was blown open uh, in, in the 90s and a lot of new energy got put into it more more scientists started to look at the clinical applications uh depression anxiety addiction uh there were some really good psilocybin papers out there with um, um uh, alcohol addiction and tobacco addiction uh end of life anxiety um 
what else? I mean, I mean, just a ton of stuff and mechanistic studies too, looking at what it does in the brain, neuroimaging, MRI scans. Uh, we know a lot more than, than we did before, but also it's a little silly because we're kind of just confirming what we already knew about psychedelics too. Uh, I still laugh every time I see these, uh, these headlines, these research paper headlines that are like, Breaking news, psilocybin uh, reduces rates of depression in, in a new study. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. Thanks for letting me know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but we're just yeah. really good at that, right? Of taking yeah. old medicine and being like, oh, this is new, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Look it's what new. we discovered. Wow. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. But even, um, even more so, like it's thousands of years of history uh, have, you know, ayahuasca is one of the oldest out there. And um, you know, many psychedelics, uh, have been kind of located in, in the history of even Christianity. There's a recent book. I haven't read it yet, but the immortality key outlines, yes, on uh, my list. yeah, there's apparently there's hard evidence that psychedelics have been involved in, I think the Catholic church or at least mm -hmm. in Christ, ancient Christianity. And yeah. so potentially, you know, psychedelics have been everywhere in human history. And then listen to that ironosity the irony <laughs> listen to the irony of um you know this war that that we are living in and and i would say most everybody living right now went through of uh, the war on drugs um and now as you mentioned research uh, is coming out to say that catholics used psychedelics and i'm not making mm -hmm. any claims uh, and you are free to have your own opinion and get mad at me and send me an email. That's fine. <laughs> mm -hmm. I may or may not respond. <laughs> um, and uh, when you start getting into understanding the role of psychedelics in culture and in uh, healing, uh, it makes a whole lot of fucking sense um, that this stuff is used ceremonially for, for many, 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 many years. Uh, going on the bandwagon of, you know, like theory uh, I heard um, maybe from a podcast where, um, um, oh, of course, I'm drawing a blank. The the journalist who took psychedelics and then wrote a book. Michael Pollan? Uh, yes, Michael Pollan. I think it was him that talked about how um, homo sapiens, uh, there's a theory again, came to be possibly because um there is a strand of psilocybin and for people who don't know but you're okay it looks like you know what i'm where i'm going there's a strand of uh, psilocybin and for people who are unfamiliar with what that is uh it, that's magic mushrooms so mushrooms that make you trip because we know not all do um can grow in lots of places and most people know that that it's a fungus that just fucking shows up in lots of places and it can grow on poop mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. as our ancient uh, family members were hunting, they would possibly come, I mean, just envision how this would work. They came across the poop of who they were hunting because that's how they track. I mean, I suppose, I'm not a hunter, but that would make sense. And then all of a sudden, ooh, they see these things growing out of the poop. What is it? <laughs> Sniff it, maybe eat it a little bit. And then they have possibly uh, an epiphany and mm. learn how to use fire learn how to use tools. Mm -hmm. Again, you don't have to agree with me. I can hear a lot of people in my ear already saying, I don't know. Uh, that's my own thing. I need to get <laughs> over. Um, 
No, it's, it's very likely. I mean, just looking at, yeah, the patterns of human history. Yeah. If, if, if there are people foraging for food out there, you find a mushroom and you're, you're going to try it out or somebody's going to try it at some point, right. you know? And, um, and, and there's something I'd love to add to that. I love that you bring this up because, um, I, I was talking to a friend recently and, uh, has, has a, um, a better, or, or, or a background in, um, uh, neurobiology and was talking about how the, the molecule psilocybin, um, the way it fits into our brain's receptors is, is so seemingly perfect. Like, like, uh, something that comes from a mushroom, you wouldn't necessarily think that it would have such a profound and, and not, not just like strong effect, but it's also very low toxicity in terms of it, it, it doesn't complicate the physiology a whole lot. You know, you can, you can take a fair amount of it without a lot of side effects and compare that to basically any other, you know, pharmaceutical medication. There's a long list of, you know, certain conditions you, you don't want to mix with it or other, uh, complications and things like that. Uh, psilocybin is quite gentle. And so when you look at the, both, both that fact and, um, the fact that the way it fits in the receptors is just so elegant that many, many kind of evolutionary biologists theorize that, uh, humans may have evolved with these psilocybin mushrooms it, because the way our brain receptors are formed is around what we need. You know, we, we don't have receptors without a good reason for having them. And so it adds to the evidence that, you know, many, many years back in human history, we were likely using psilocybin probably kept using psilocybin because these mushrooms are everywhere. They, they grow all over the planet, not just in like one region or in one climate. They're all over the place. They grow on a, a variety of plants, dung, uh, wood, grass, uh, dirt, you know, and, and they're quite easy to cultivate on your own too, if you want, uh, and, and spore printing and, and um, uh, like, like uh, growing spores and, and fungus is, is a very common practice in human history. So uh, it's, it's pretty likely that psychedelics, psilocybin at the very least, but also DMT in, in probably even a more profound way have evolved with the human species for a long time. Let's talk about some tangibles, um, like some vocabulary. So if you're um, new to psychedelics, um, let's list off, like if someone's like, well, what, what the hell are they talking about? So we've listed off um, uh, psilocybin, which is magic mushrooms, right? We've got uh, DMT, which is um, more known, I, I think, for being an ayahuasca. Yeah. Um, mescaline, right? So this is uh, like a... Peyote, San Peyote, Pedro, yes, yes. yeah, the cacti, basically. Mm -hmm. um, we have MDMA, and, and it's, depending on who you're talking to, we'll say it's not a traditional psychedelic. Right, yeah, yeah. it's, it's in the family, but I've heard people refer to it as an empathogen. Yeah, and that's yeah, more like the street name is or ecstasy for MDMA. Correct, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's got a very um, heart-opening experience. Makes you it love makes and people... want to touch people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you become more emotionally released and, and vulnerable. Which is yeah. why there are studies uh, currently going on with MDMA and um, 
what are kind of the two main things uh ptsd is ptsd is, yeah. especially for war veterans and end of life yeah. um uh fear so like terminal cancer or something mm. like that yeah um so these things are already being studied you guys like they're in the hands of the government and scientists and you know uh although that one's not legal right now what is legal right now uh, if you do in a clinic under the supervision of a psychotherapist and an MD is ketamine. So do you know a little bit about ketamine? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I actually work pretty closely with a number of colleagues that have uh, started ketamine clinics and are trained in the ketamine assisted therapies. Uh, it's, 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 yeah, like you said, it's kind of the only uh, direction to go if you want to go fully above ground, um, above board. Um, it's again, not a classical psychedelic, uh, generally in the uh, classification of a dissociative other, uh, notable dissociatives, a PCP, um, or I'd say nitrous oxide, maybe, uh, more of a recreational dissociative, but, uh, it certainly does have some major overlap with psychedelics. It, it, uh, on a functional mechanistic level, it increases the number of neural connections. You have the neuroplasticity, um, the, the, the branches that come off of, a, a, a the cell body or a neuron, uh, they, they grow out and they connect to other neurons. And that's, that's theorized to be what leads to people, um, have experiencing a relief of depressive or anxious symptoms. Um, basically kind of gets you, it gives you like a little reset. It's like rebooting your computer in a way. Um, but you there's also some network. Yeah. 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 We can yeah, talk about that a little bit. Disrupting. Yeah. Those hub networks and giving you a chance to step outside your normal automatic thinking. Um, that is a temporary effect though, if it is only mechanistic, which that's, that gets to the whole topic of integration and why that's important. And ketamine, um, so is traditionally an anesthetic, is that correct? Yeah, that's, reliever? that's, it's and one of the most it in hospitals, commonly, guys. it's everywhere. Yeah, it's very, it's, it's a very safe anesthetic. Um, it's, it's used, uh, I'd say more often in animal hospitals because, um, it, I think maybe it has some side effects that normal anesthesia doesn't have, but, um, yeah, typically they just, that, and those are the high doses, like the doses that they're giving uh, for like psychedelic assisted therapies are much, much lower than the anesthetic doses. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's like you're getting to anesthesia, but you're sort of halfway between Which total unconsciousness. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was talking to a nurse of friend of mine um, when I was telling her about ketamine clinics and she's like, oh, really psychedelic? I mean, we give it to people who are um, coming off of alcohol withdrawal. Oh, in like not anesthetic doses, but. And I could be misquoting her, but she, she, she told me a use of ketamine in the hospitals, uh, a different way than I was thinking. And it was for withdrawal of something. And I'm pretty sure it was. Oh, it does have a strong, like anti-anxiety effect. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe withdrawal symptoms can kind of make people just, uh, irritable or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, don't quote me on that. However, I'm just painting the picture that um, often folks don't realize the use psychedelics already have in our culture. Mm, totally. Yeah. 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 It's just we, we now understand and respect more um, what I guess just the extent to to which we have underappreciated them, I guess. And 
And uh, yeah, the whole world of psychology and psychiatry like completely missed out on it. And it's like a whole chunk of what they should be experts in and they just, just overlooked it. So let's see, um, where do I want to go next as I sift through my questions? A big one was that war on drugs. I really wanted to talk about that. So thank you. Um, I feel like maybe we've touched on a lot of the, um, like we've named some psychedelics. We've talked about why there is fear with drugs. Uh, let's get into some of the more like, if somebody's still listening and saying, I still don't get why we care about psychedelics. Can you um, bring us into the world of what psychedelics do for us? Hmm. Um, you're talking about, um, you know, we mentioned how they could help with addiction, end of life anxiety, um, trauma, uh, depression, um, how they work on that and why. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, 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 we mentioned a, a little bit about the mechanistic side, like what happens in the brain, which um, more recent neuroimaging studies have, have shed some light on. They, they're able to, well, so like the way like an MRI scan works is they're measuring the blood flow in different areas of the brain. And they're usually comparing um, how much blood flow, like two parts of the brain are, are having an interaction with each other. So they can kind of, uh, see when you, when you stimulate like the visual cortex, for example, uh, what other areas of the brain seem to respond. And that would, that would suggest that the visual cortex is communicating with those other areas of the brain. And so what they found with psychedelics is, um, actually let me back up. So uh, the default mode network is, is it comes up a lot in psychedelic research and it's one of a few of what they call hub networks, which are parts of the brain that are responsible for, for deciding what thoughts actually make it to the surface, what thoughts make it to your awareness and what, what thoughts lead to a behavior or some sort of action. And so they're, they're very heavily filtering and constraining uh, and, and uh, prioritizing what raw information actually gets used. And, and another, like another example of a hub network is the executive control network. And, and that's, that's like that frontal lobe that develops in adulthood that gives you all of those extra like you know, oh, oh what if scenarios. It's, it's, it's what like teenagers lack be, you know, and they demonstrate prefrontal cortex their, is a piece of this. Yeah, yeah, prefrontal cortex. Yeah, yeah, the executive control where you know you're you're judging your situations before you act. You know, you're you're prioritizing. Oh, is this is this really worth it for me? And you know, things like that. The default mode network does a similar thing, but it's more in reference to your sense of identity, who you are to other people, who you are to society. What is your uh, what is your position in your family, like your, your, your relational identity, your work identity. Um, basically how, how you see yourself, uh, as an individual, what makes you unique is what the default mode network, um, constructs and protects. And 
oftentimes the ego is associated with the default mode network and and there is some truth to that but it's it's i think most uh, neuroscientists would say it's 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 a too limiting of a perspective of the ego because the the ego is a you know it's a freudian concept it's a, it's a psychology idea that, that's based more in a qualitative understanding of of consciousness uh, the default mode network involves very, very specific parts of the brain, the hippocampus, parahippocampus, um, um, a couple other, uh, I think ones on the side and the back, um, but they would kind of work together to, to give you that internal dialogue of like, um, it, it kicks in, it kicks in when you're just kind of sitting around not doing anything or when you're, you're kind of daydreaming or your mind veers off. It's, it's, it, they call it the default Hence mode. Default. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You, you default to that if you're not doing something else. So if you're not, you're not actively, actively yep. Yeah. If you don't have any sort of complex tasks to attend to default mode kicks in you start thinking about, Oh, what are, what are all the things I got to do today? Oh, that, that one thing my boss told me, oh, I don't want to upset him or, um, you know, what, uh, that, that one time, um, last week when, you know, I did that thing, oh, I got to make sure I, I've, I, I, I fixed that problem or, or I'm planning, I'm planning the, the next few years of my life. Oh, if, if I go down this track, I might end up this person or this, you know, this situation may cause people to think of me in a certain way or, you know, anything that had to do with your reputation, your uh, self-esteem, uh, all of all of those like self-critical, self-referential types of thoughts. Uh, that's what kicks in with the default mode network. And Which is helpful, right? As human beings, like we need yeah, this uh, absolutely. to survey our land and like see yeah. what's going to kill us, what's not. And it has clearly, um, we, we are, we are operating in, uh, in this default mode network that seems to not be helpful the majority of the time because of the way our culture has been built. Well said. Yeah. And that's exactly the problem that we're in. I mean, you could even really, uh, uh, point the finger at that for much of the mental health epidemic right now is, um, it's, it's, it's an illness of modernity the modern lifestyle involves a lot more just sitting around not doing a whole lot than it used to. We have a lot more time to let that default mode kick in and that automatic thinking, that self-referential, self-critical thought. Once you, once you allow that to run in hyperactive mode for long enough, it will keep running in that way. Because what you, whatever you do in your brain persists, right? Those, those connections that you uh, repeatedly go down get stronger every time you go down that neural pathway. And so if, especially folks who have a job where it's just kind of autopilot mode, right? Like working at a cashier, you know, you don't even have to think all, all of the, the th actions you do are automatic. That neural, that, that those neural pathways that run default mode network are, are just going to be active all the time, all the time. And so you're more likely to get stuck in that depressive thought spiral or that anxious worrying or uh, PTSD is, is a perfect example where you're, you're going down the same traumatic memories that um, are, are, you know, something might remind you of that. And then you relive that experience. And, and these, these are all conditions of rigidity, cognitive rigidity. We get stuck in one pathway of thinking. So psychedelics basically turn the dial down on those hub networks 
it reduces the ability for those hub networks to do that constraining and filtering. And um, when, when you look at the overall activity of the brain, it actually means that there's less, uh, less blood flow overall because those hub networks actually take up a, a, a huge amount of energy to do all that constraining and filtering. It's like, a, it's like a whole bunch of extra processes to prioritize which of my thoughts actually get to make it to the surface, which, of my, which, which things actually come out of my mouth or what, what things do I actually express um, or even what things yeah, even come to awareness in the first place. Uh, it's, it's, it's the way we kind of lie to ourselves to convince ourselves that we are a certain person that, that maybe we, we think society wants us to be or what, or what uh, kind of works in a, a social context or something like that. Um, so psychedelics turn that down, but as a result, when the hub networks are no longer filtering and constraining, all that raw data from your memories, your sensations, they just go straight to the surface. They make it to your, your, your frontal awareness. And uh, you may experience that as just uh, more sensory content. You know, you see brighter colors, more sounds. You kind of, you kind of see things in between the the, or or you even get kind of cross talk between those those area networks. Um, that's where that synesthesia effect comes. Um, but more explain, importantly, explain you're, to people what synesthesia is. Yeah, that's when. Uh, well, unless you've experienced it, it probably sounds pretty weird, but. Um, yeah, you, it's it's when it's like you're you're crossing two different parts of your brain that are not normally crossed, which which is it's it's not something that's broken because our our brain is designed to do that. Like like normally, when you see something that reminds you, like let's like say um, uh, a car drives by and it happens to be like the same car that you used to drive in high school, and all of a sudden, oh, you're thinking about all those memories in high school, you know the. The, the places you and your friends went, you know, it's your, your brain is referencing something based on a stimuli. And when you don't have the hub networks active, those that referencing can occur across many different brain areas that you wouldn't normally reference. And so now when you see that car drive by and you're on psychedelics, you're not just thinking maybe of high school and stuff, maybe um, you're, you're, you know, like a sound that, um, uh, reminds you of that car, like it, it kind of changes the color even like you, you may be seeing the, the sound of, of a, a memory or you're smelling the, the color of, of that car or something like that. And, you know, it sounds really weird, but I mean, that's the, that's really the true capability of, of the brain. And, um, a lot of what I argue with, uh, DMT specifically, and, and the idea that we have psychedelics in us, is uh, this ability to to lower that that threshold of limitation is part of our natural functioning. We're designed to open up all of our senses and, and uh, uh, conscious abilities of awareness. It's there for a reason, and it's just that our modern lifestyle has us more consistently in a state of limitation of more focused kind of even tunnel vision perception. It was just that we just got used to that. And we, we forgot that there's even anything outside of that world. And um, the truth is, is a whole lot. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, so to, to put that in a nutshell, um, 
how do you put that in a nutshell that um, yeah there is research going on about psychedelics and helping with the mental health crisis as it's been called it's kind of just like a central nervous system crisis of the modern day person um, and that fills me with a lot of hope I mm. hope that it would fill other people with a lot of hope um, I've heard plenty of psychotherapists talk about how they recognize uh, that they um, the tools they have are helpful in some arenas and just dreadfully not in some other arenas um, psychedelics yeah. gives that place a lot of um, a lot of hope yeah absolutely um, like I said th these are an entire category of, of drugs that have been uh, forced underground and um, when you when you look at the, the whole spectrum of like what a psychiatrist uses in their repertoire all of it are symptoms symptom suppressive drugs, antidepressants, antipsychotics, mood stabilizers, everything, everything they have in their toolkit is designed just to push down whatever problematic symptoms are there. Problem is you're pushing down more than just what you want to get rid of. You're losing your overall sense of self, your overall sensitivity, uh, your, your overall awareness. And so you're, you're making, you know, you might, you might be reducing the, the problematic issues and symptoms, but you're also reducing everything else too. So, um, psychedelics, um, the reason it's really crazy that they've, they've been, uh, neglected for so long is because they offer the other side of that, the, the expansion and augmentation of our sensitivity and awareness and vulnerability. And so it's no wonder we're living in a society that's so repressed, emotional repression. Um, uh, even, I mean, our, our cognitive rigidity back to, back to that conversation. Um, so, so I, you know, I, I, I don't mean to demonize uh, psychiatry or, or the types of drugs they use. They, they still have their place. Absolutely. There is a, there is sometimes a good reason that you just need to like lower the the overall threshold of, of sensitivity. But um, if that's all you're doing, if 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 you know that's the the same tool you use to to treat everything, uh, you're you're gonna lose that battle. There, you're just you're not even gonna accomplish what you mean to accomplish. And so and all that stuff um, is gonna come out sideways, whether you're prepared for it or not. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You suppress that lot stuff long enough. It's going to come out in a weird way that, that you don't expect or, yeah. you know, yeah, just, it just, it just kind of festers and, and bubbles up uh, over time. And, um, and that's what we see with people who are, are trying psychedelics now is they're, they're, they're experiencing things for the first time. Like, like I've, Oh God, I've had, I've had clients talk to me about, you know, like even, crying for the first time or, or feeling love for the first time. Like, can you imagine, you know, some people are actually living that way right now and never even really knowing what they're truly capable of as, as just a human being, you're not even, not even like a super fully realized healthy human being, but even just the human experience in general, um, you know, looking at depression as not just a, a pathology, but, as a, as a natural human response, it's, it's signals that your body is sending you for a reason. 
And so now we're, we're unpacking all this, like, okay, so I have all this in me. What do I do with it is the next question. And, and that's, that's again, where that integration conversation comes in. I love that you brought some of this stuff up. Um, going back to the, the psychiatrist toolbox, right, of um, uh, antidepressants, uh, suppression. Mm. Um, you know, they're, I, that's why I'm so excited about the somatic therapy that's coming out now. I see a lot of psychotherapists getting training in um, somatic experiencing. It's called SE, if you guys want to research that. Um, EMDR, which a lot of people are hearing, again, that's another somatic therapy that helps to, you know, kind of go back to the trauma and, you know, keep one foot in the present and one foot in the trauma and you work it out with your therapist. Um, mm -hmm. Brain spotting is also another thing that people can look into. Um, and then, hey, hey, acupuncture, right? Like these mm -hmm. somatic therapies that help the body slowly unwind. And there's absolutely a place for this Western medicine, right? Um, and like you mentioned, this is why I love the word titration so much. Titrating, right? We want to, like you mentioned, um, ease the symptoms with some of these Western medicines. Like there absolutely is a place for that. You are at your wits end and you don't yet have skills to tend to some of the other deeper stuff, then by all means, yeah, like let's do some, some Western med stuff. And then, like you mentioned, if you stick with that, um, you might not be too happy with the results if that's all you do, right? Mm -hmm. Because that suppresses. So then these other therapies come in, like we're talking about psychedelics and the things that I just mentioned, um, to help tend to, to the root stuff of what's really going on, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and by all means, not giving any medical advice, I cannot, so please don't take it as that. Uh, but yeah, when we can have Western medicine and then like the rest of the world... <laughs> Indigenous practices come together. That's where I see the, the beauty of us being able to at least modernly like what we're dealing with, with like maybe down the line, we won't need some of this stuff, you know, but like we're in such a crisis mode of being numb for so many fucking generations. Mm -hmm. um, that if you do look into doing any of this stuff, um, there's a, a big word of caution, right? And maybe we can end with that of um, what does it look like to use psychedelics um in an unsafe manner and what can it look like to use them safely mm. yeah yeah um and that's that's kind of the challenge that i've i've sort of taken on as a integration psychedelic integration coach and consultant um because we're figuring it out right now uh there's 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 a lot of traditional use uh that that's very very old and and very wise but applying that to the modern lifestyle is is tricky because uh the way we live in in our families and and communities and and society in general uh nowadays is much different especially just in the last like 20 30 years the way technology and the internet has transformed our lives and i mean even more so in just the last two years uh, where we become, you know, we've Hello, embraced metaverse. the idea, of, yeah, isolation and virtual realities, and um, we're probably going to see even more rapid shifts in culture and, and, and uh, social interactions. But um, yeah, it's 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 not a matter of like, you know, just just going to like an ayahuasca ceremony and then coming home and then being cured. Um, mm -hmm. You've got to somehow 
and, and, and I think you put this well, like taking the, the traditional idea of health and I mean, even just, just, just uh, a concept of what is reality from a, a traditional context, a non-scientific context of, of like experiencing th things more intuitively and subjectively and understanding the world through, through that lens, as opposed to the empirical objective forms of validating reality, which is, which is primarily what our societies rely on now. Um, we're, we're just not going to be able to integrate a whole lot if, if we're stuck in just one of those two uh, concepts. And so I, I strongly feel the, the key to all of this, not just psychedelics, but uh, just, just evolution at this point in, in our, our, our human uh, history, is we, we can't limit ourselves to just science or just spirituality anymore. Uh, in and of themselves, they're, they're extremely limiting. And um, psychedelics especially really blow the, the whole thing open because um, it, it, it gives you this profoundly subjective experience that is very hard to deny that there is some relationship between your internal uh, thought processes and your external experience of reality. It's essentially bridging that gap between the subjective and the objective, uh, rather than from a, a purely like a material scientific stance that thoughts and non-physical things don't have an effect on the physical world because you can't measure it. And, uh, that, that, that problem will never be solved from a purely scientific perspective because there's, there's never going to be a way to measure the immeasurable. And so if we don't embrace the subjective experience, we're, we're, we're cutting ourselves off from a huge chunk of, of knowledge of experience and, 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 and wisdom ultimately. So um, in, in a large sense, I, that's kind of how we make this work. This, this whole uh, psychedelic therapy thing work is, is we embrace a larger paradigm of reality and we accept the fact that our thoughts do matter and our thoughts do have an effect on our experience of reality. And, and you, know, you don't even have to take it as far as like thoughts manifest reality or like, you know, uh, nothing is real and it's all just, you know, a, a, a thought construct. Um, you, can, you can even just look at it in a practical sense. If I walk into a room and I have, you know, very positive, like hopeful thoughts, like, oh, I'm, I'm confident, I'm cool, I'm chill, I'm happy. Um, people are going to look at you and they're going to pick up on that. Maybe it's the expression on your face. Maybe it's the way you, you, your posture is. Uh, maybe it's something you say, the tone of your voice. You know, whatever it is, it, 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 people are picking up on it. And it's, you know, maybe a culmination of a lot of things. And some of them you can measure. Maybe some of them you can't measure. Maybe there's like subtle energies there or something like that. Um, and then compare that to if, you know, you're having, you woke up on the wrong side of the bed or, you know, you, you've heard some bad news or you, you check Twitter and you're upset. Um, you're going to walk into a room. People are going to pick up on that funk you're bringing in, you know? And, and so... Um, yeah, in a broad sense, that's, that's how we make it work. But um, there's a lot of other just complications that we're looking at right now. Uh, the, the rapid rise in psychedelic use that we've been seeing, uh, it's, it's no longer just 
uh, hippies at a festival that are taking psychedelics now. It's your grandma. It's it's uh, 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 war veterans. It's um, uh, you know clinically depressed, uh, isolated people. It's you know everybody is trying it now. And in in my work, um, I'm I'm very fortunate to see a very widespread of folks that are coming into the world of psychedelics because um, people are reaching out to me because they they're they they want to understand you know like like they're they're not coming to me unless they're they have a really good reason and uh so typically they're 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 fed up with the conventional healthcare system they've you know they've tried regular doctors and regular medication and all that and they read michael pollan's book and now they're like okay tell me more what's this what's this deal with the psilocybin or something and um and so i um i've learned a lot about psychedelics affect people in very different ways and uh it you know coming from that the festival culture of, of more underground recreational use of psychedelics uh i see now that i really was assuming a lot i was i was assuming so much of of what might happen when someone takes a psychedelic when when really it's much more unpredictable than i think any of us can can really um make any assumptions in about. So um, I think it's really important for safety to um, tap into the traditional ways. That's, that's, that's one uh, a very, very important resource is there's been people using these things for thousands of years. Uh, there's certain ways that they, they do things, certain ways they don't do things. And there's a reason for that. Uh, namely, you'll notice that psychedelics in traditional cultures are considered the master plants. They're considered the highest level of, of sacredness and sincerity. The, the, the leaders of the community they are the ones. They take them, right? They, they take them, yes. Isn't that fascinating? Yes, and it's a, it now. <laughs> it's a rite of passage. You know, it's, yeah. it's considered the, the most serious uh, experience that you can have. And let that and, sink in. Like if you're thinking about using yes. them and you never have, or you've had experiences that felt unsafe, yeah. um, this stuff is nothing to play with. Like Absolutely. Christopher just mentioned, that's the ritual. The shaman takes it, does their thing, comes mm -hmm. back and gives the medicine of what they received. Yeah. It's yeah. powerful and, stuff. And that's, and that's like their job, right? Their, their calling in life is to, uh, uh, explore through the uh the those higher dimensional realms of consciousness that what's behind the veil and and so they they take it so seriously and um and, and, and you know i think it's possible within the context of like modern medicine uh you know doctors take their jobs very very seriously i what i what i hope to see though is is just again that ability to embrace not just what you can what you can see, feel, and, and touch, what you can measure, but also what you can't measure. Uh, and, and, and that ultimately amounts to consciousness, your thoughts. What thoughts are you bringing into it? What are your intentions? What's the mindset? Uh, appreciating how big of an impact that has on a psychedelic experience is, is, is almost all of what I talk about with my clients. Because most, most people that come to me, they've done their homework already. You know, they've looked up dosages, they've looked up contraindications and, you know, those kind of physical risk factors. 
But what people don't take seriously enough is how truly important that mindset is. What is your intention going in? How seriously do you take it? You know, do you consider this um, uh, a, a real thing? You know, sometimes even just taking, you know, like considering it reality uh, is is a big battle for some people. You know, we we, we traditionally call them hallucinogens. You know, which which suggests that what you're seeing and feeling. Yeah, that it's it's a hallucination. It's not real. But I promise you, you know, whether or not it is real, and and there's no we way to prove argue it. We can fucking argue about what is reality, anyways. Exactly. You know, you can't prove it either way. No, so you, you might can't. as well take the stance that is more beneficial to you, and and that is uh, considering it real, assuming that what you're seeing and feeling in those very uh, um, unreal dimensions, quote unquote, um, has an effect on you. It's it's like you know, you have a, you, you have a bad dream, right? You have a nightmare or something. You wake up the next day, you're just feeling kind of weird and off or even maybe worse. You know, some people have dreams that throw off their whole week and, you know, is that real? Well, it had a real effect. So in that sense, it's at least real. So whether or not you believe that, you know, what's in your mind is, is like, is tangible, um, you've got to take it seriously because you're, you're so vulnerable and open in these states that, um, you know, you're really, you're, you're, you're changing things at the basis of, of where everything is. It's, it's like you plant a seed and that seed grows into a plant, the roots and the branches comes out and you maybe grow a tree. And if the seed is not planted in a healthy way, if the soil and the water and everything is not nurturing that seed, it's going to affect the whole rest of the tree. And so you've got to look at consciousness as the seed of your whole life, your, your beliefs, your assumptions, your memories, your, your ongoing experiences, these all shape your tangible material world. And so if you, if you operate and, and heal at that level, you're going to have the most sustainable, complete, holistic effect uh, that you possibly could. So, yeah, it's it's real stuff. So just if you if you take it seriously enough, the more you put into it, the more you get out of it. Mm-hmm. So as we wrap up here, um, I'm feeling the need to add in some disclaimers. <laughs> I've never okay. publicly spoken or spoken where I've had disclaimers, I suppose. Uh, but you know, why not? And really the two that I'm coming up with are are very general things is that, uh, number one, and you can just add a little bit to this if you want to, uh, that the psychedelic society of Minnesota does not offer drugs. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I mean, we, we have very clear boundaries around, um, you know, while you're at the events, just don't ask people where to get drugs and, you know, don't offer people drugs and right. So nobody's um, dealing at the events. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's really just there so that we can keep doing it. <laughs> Frankly, uh, we wouldn't have been able to do this for, for as long as we have, if, if we didn't draw that line. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing is Christopher and I are not, uh, telling anyone to go out to do drugs. What I hoped in this conversation was to provide education, uh, and to let you make your own decision. And on that vein, um, I'd like to give two resources, and if you can think of any off the top of your head as well, um, add them. For people who are more curious about this topic and want to go research, I um, highly recommend Michael Pollan's book, and I believe it's called How to Change Your Brain, How to Change Your Mind, mind. How to Change yeah. Your Mind. Uh, 
so yeah, so he, as we mentioned in the beginning, um, is a um, well-known journalist, and he did also the thing with the food and the cow. I can't remember what that was, mm -hmm. where he mm -hmm. bought a cow and like learned how to do all the things you would do with a cow if you're going to eat it. Yeah. Um, there's a Netflix documentary called Fantastic Fungi. Mm, they recommend one. that. Um, anything come to mind for you? Um, I'm a big fan of the spirit molecule. That's uh, one about DMT specifically. Um, that's a good one. Um, I would say for folks that are uh, interested in the experience of psychedelics and in, in either uh, themselves or with other people, uh, the Zendo project, they specialize in, in essentially supporting people from a harm reduction perspective. Now this is part uh, of MAPS, right? Uh, no, no, they're their own thing. Oh. They, I'm, they've, they've worked closely with MAPS, I'm sure, but um, they got their start at like music festivals and Burning Man, where they basically set up a tent for anyone who happened to be having a rough time, usually involving some sorts of drug experiences. And um, they just have a really good understanding of what it means to hold space for people in those vulnerable states. And, and, and honestly, this isn't just for, for people wanting to um, like kind of take care of somebody that might be on psychedelics. But I really feel that the art of trip sitting is also just the art of appreciating vulnerability, but vulnerability on a level that we don't normally um, encounter in our daily life because psychedelics open a person's mind up. They, you know, they, they lower the barriers of the ego. It's, it's, you're, you're getting a lot less of all the many defense mechanisms that people have layered on top of their, their kind of softer, more vulnerable parts. And as a result, you can see so much more of a person, the, the uniqueness and authenticity there. But um, in our normal society, especially in kind of the, the kind of hustle bustle of capitalism, um, there's so little of that appreciation for um, what really makes a person special and, and unique and vulnerable. So in a larger sense, I'd love to see more people just, just understand that process and learn and, and really just kind of practice holding that space. If not, not yeah. just for people who are tripping, but, um, this is what's also people just are missing. Tripping off of life. Yeah. Yeah. We need this just in our mental health care totally. facilities, you know? Yeah. So yeah, we are not yeah, how, to, how to trip sit just on life. Yeah. Thank Absolutely, you for yeah. remembering the Zendo project. Yeah. Anything else come to mind? What about uh, that book yeah, you mentioned I, earlier? What's that? Way in the beginning, you mentioned a book earlier. Um, I can't About, remember what it was. Hmm. I don't recall. Um, okay. I was I was going to bring up um, a directory for psychedelic societies. Hmm. Um, yeah. Let me just make sure I know it. Yeah. Okay. So it's psychedelic.community is the website. Uh, it's it's a it's a very thorough list of psychedelic societies. I, I mean, honestly a Google search probably would be sufficient, but um, basically just want to encourage people uh, wherever you might be at, there's probably a, a, a community of, of psychedelically enthusiastic people around psychedelic clubs, psychedelic societies. I mean, some often they're not even called psychedelic societies anymore. They just have you know, kind of their own unique name, but um, they're out there, you know, you're not alone. If you're interested in this, even if your family and friends are not interested in it, there are people to talk to. And 
of all the things that you know you can do read a book watch a video and stuff really the most beneficial is have a conversation sit down face to face with somebody hear their story see how psychedelics have affected them understand from their perspective you know take take it all like as who they are in a unique way in the sense that the way you experience psychedelics will be unique too so don't generalize too much but um yeah kind of a, a associate what they're saying with who they are as a person and and you can learn a lot from that so psychedelic side psychedelic.community has got a big directory but really just type in your state or your city and psychedelic whatever and you'll find something uh the last thing that i want to mention is the institute for integrative therapies so they are one of hmm. the legal ketamine clinics in minnesota um and i think they have a place maybe in golden valley and they're moving to saint paul um so that's a place where you can do ketamine legally with an md and a psychotherapist yeah yeah they're they're actually friends of mine um mm. uh we've we've collaborated a bit we're, we're psychedelic side are actually be hosting an event with them soon mm. um yeah yeah i i respect what they do the, there's there's a lot of other ketamine clinics out there and um frankly i'm not a big fan of most of them they're 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 generally just cashing in on uh, uh symptom suppressive treatments which is um really just paying $500 to have a week off of depression. Mm. And, um, that's, it's, it's just, it's not sustainable and it's, it's not what you could be doing. Um, that's again, where the, the whole idea of integration comes in, but also the methods you use, you know, they're mixing somatic, uh, therapies with, with the ketamine infusions and, uh, they're having, you know, group therapy sessions and, um, you know, various methods can be employed that go beyond just, getting shot up with a bunch of ketamine and, um, and kind of resetting your brain. So yeah, IIT Institute of Integrative Therapies, I, I'm a fan of, um, uh, Catalyst is another, let me just make sure that's Catalyst Insight Collective. Yeah. Um, also friends of mine, they were actually part of the Psychedelic Society of Minnesota. So yeah, those two clinics I'm a fan of, um, there, there's other ones out there probably, but um, just be careful where you're going, make sure that they have an understanding of integration and that they have actual training in therapies that you can do while you're on the ketamine. Cause, um, if you don't, then it's just another drug. It's, I mean, it might as well be recreational at that point because you know, the effects will also wear off too. It, it just won't keep working. Even if it works initially, it, it won't last. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for that. Well, we've come to time, even a little over time. Um, thank you so much for being on. This has been a great discussion. Uh, I hope to continue. There's um, lots of other stuff we could delve into. I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. No, thank you, Rachel. I appreciate you doing this work. The um, Just overall, the topics that you cover, I, I think it's really important to help bridge that gap that we, we talked about mm -hmm. in the world today. So yeah, I appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you. Uh, one last thing I forgot, if people want to get in touch with you, if they have questions or they're um, wanting to uh, connect with the Psychedelic Society of Minnesota, where do they go? How do they find you guys? Sure. Yeah, psychedelicmn.com, although um, I have my own platform uh, where I do my coaching, that's openmindintegration.com. And so you can go there to, to um, uh, see my services for preparation and integration. 
I uh, basically help people um, figure out how to uh, get get a safe and beneficial psychedelic experience. And uh, we've got a great network of support around that too. Uh, the community is is fantastic, so I invite folks to to get involved. Um, so yeah, openmindintegration.com and then psychedelicmn.com would be the the two places to to find all that. Beautiful. Well, that closes our conversation. Thanks, Christopher. All Bye, right. guys. We'll see you next yep. time. Thanks for joining. Check out the show notes for more information on this episode. This podcast is currently available on Spotify and Anchor. To find out more about me and to work with me, head to my website, acupuncturewithrachel.com. You can also follow me on Instagram, rachel underscore k underscore healing underscore arts. For questions and ideas for future episodes, email me at acupuncturewithrachel at gmail.com. Looking forward to seeing you next time.